Scripture is from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 through 24. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my message and my speech were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God's sovereignty is good news. What we'll walk through today is that God's sovereignty, which means his absolute authority, his power, specifically we'll see that God's wisdom, God's power, and God's plan are always good news for his people. Let's pray together as we get into Isaiah chapter 45 through 47 together. Lord, again, we come before you with a sense of anticipation and expectation. I don't know where we're all coming this morning from different places, different experiences, or even different struggles and questions. The idea of your sovereignty perhaps is something that we have reserved for a theologian a, theo, a the, theology class that we, 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 we put somewhere on a shelf. But when it really comes down to how that informs and impacts our everyday lives, it's scary, painful, frustrating. Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes to see you. We pray that we will think rightly about you. We pray that who you are will actually functionally be a good news in our everyday lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, church, good morning. My name, thank you. Yeah, I love an interactive audience here. I know it's a, it's a congregation. This isn't an audience. Okay, we're, we're, we're coming together to be shaped together individually in our homes, in our families, in our own lives, and as a church Body. And so we're going to hunker down and spend a lot of time. We have three chapters of Hebrew poetry to walk through together. So we're going to get into it. So if you have a Bible with you, will you open up to Isaiah? It's uh, almost exactly halfway through your Bible. And also, it's, uh, there's no shame and never turn into the table of 
contents and looking where a specific chapter or book is. So go ahead and do that. There you go. I have to do it sometimes myself. And so uh, turn there to Isaiah if you have a Bible with you. If you don't have one and you would like one, would you raise your hand, hold it up high, and keep it up, and somebody will get you a Bible. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, uh, eso es un regalito a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en um, Isaías. So again, we're in uh, the book of Isaiah. If you don't own a Bible, you don't have one, or you don't own one that you can understand, right? You have some old one that maybe your great-grandparent gave you and you don't even know what it's saying all the time. Uh, we'd love to get you one, okay? So please, this is our gift to you. So again, we get into this God's sovereignty, his power, his wisdom, his authority, his, his knowledge, his plan. When we slow down and really look at it, is God powerful? And if so, is he good? Or is God good, but not powerful? If we honestly reflect on those questions, it either positively somehow informs and shapes our lives or absolutely frustrates us. So specifically, God's wisdom, is that good news? Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, right? If God knows all things and he's powerful and he's good, why? Sometimes that's really frustrating. In fact, look with me in chapter 45 of Isaiah, how it kicks off. In verses one through three, thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, that's a non-Israelite, a pagan, an oppressor. God says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and, and level the exalted Places I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of irons. Again, all that is in your way, I will break down. And you'd be thinking, yeah, that's great. That's great. Oh, but God, I think you're confused. Not for Cyrus. Verse three, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. Wait, God knows Cyrus's name? God cares about him? God's, God's got a plan that involves him? That doesn't sound like good news. God, we're your people. And we've been oppressed and struggling. So they're under Babylonian rule. This is all prophecy. God declaring what will happen to his people. And he's, so they're understanding, okay, we're going to be pressed by this great, powerful, horrible nation, Babylon, and God's going to set us free. And they hear this and they're like, wait, you're going to replace one oppressor with another oppressor? How is that good news? This would be so hard for his people to hear, right? It would be like if you've ever been in a place where you're, 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 you're excited that your number is about to get called and then you get 
seemingly passed right over and someone else, even someone that you think shouldn't, right? Someone maybe who's a bully or mean or, or doesn't have as good of a work ethic as you, they get the promotion and you're sitting there like, what? Why would I be going through this right now? We're just going to, again, walk through a lot of scripture together. As hard as this would be for God's people to hear, God informs their situation, answers their question and their struggle with, with truth. In verses 9 through 11, God says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots, does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? All right, we've heard the potter and the clay thing perhaps before. I don't know about you. I've never really put together. That's just funny. How many of us, while in the womb, gave uh, some advice to our parents about... (laughs) What, what should be happening there, right? You pause in here for a moment and it's like, that's hilarious and kind of weird. Thankfully, none of us rem- remembers those moments, but that's reality, right? Kids that are made, infants that are made. I'm not gonna walk through how that happens, but that's what God's talking about right here. In that moment, you, you wouldn't give advice about how that process should go down, God is, God is bringing that into the light here and saying, that's foolish. That's not the way things work. In the book of Job, there, there are many chapters where Job gives this, this frustration with God and what's going on in his life. Again, asking that question, God, are you good? God, are you powerful? There's no explanation for what I'm currently walking through. And God's answer is kind of frustrating. Trading. It could be, but it's actually reminding his people of his sovereignty. This is who I am. God says, I am the creator. I'm all-knowing. I'm all-powerful. I'm all-good. God is all-wise. And church, while that is and can be frustrating for us, it's good news. Again, Babylon is going to be judged. The the bad news is God's going to use Cyrus as part of the problem, this Persian. Wait, God, no, we just, why don't you just set us free? Let us go home, get rid of Babylon. God is going to deal with Babylon. Let me quickly just expose that. Now God's speaking to Babylon in chapter 47, verse 10. The good news is, again, God will deal with evil and injustice. Not always the way we think it should or at the timeline that we think it should be, but he will and he does. You felt secure in your wickedness. Again, speaking to Babylon, you said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am. God, that's God is I am. 
But Babylon thinks, oh, I've, I've got all the power. No one could ever topple me. There is no one beside me. Again, Babylon is one of the most brutal nations to ever be on the history of the earth. And God chose to use Babylon as part of his wise plan for his people. Okay, I just want to pause there for a moment to address something that I think hits home for many of us. It's a theological question. It's a, it's a struggle. How could God be powerful and good? It's known as the problem of evil. I think in many of our lives, it also just hits home on a personal look, look, look level. God, do you know me? Do you see me? How could this be happening right now? I, I thought you say you're good. The gospel means good news. How could this be good? Let me encourage us. God invites and welcomes our questions. Again, we, I think, in turn need to understand his answers might not always be exactly what we want to hear, but it's true. It's good. It's right. He welcomes our frustration, our questioning. God, are you good? So how could evil exist? The honest question, it's, it's okay to ask this in here. Is God bad? Is he mean? Is he a puppeteer, a puppet master, just kind of playing with our emotions, pulling the strings? Is that the case? Well, if we ask that of Scripture, nowhere in the Bible will we get the answer that says yes. In just a couple of places in 1 John chapter 1, we see God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, says, God is not the author of confusion. God is love. If we feel like it or not, who is God? He is love. I can't camp out here too much, but let me share a quote from a pastor. It was incredibly helpful for me, as I prepared for this, God's role with regard to evil is never as its author. He simply allows evil agents to work, then overrules evil for his own wise and holy purposes. Ultimately, he is able to make all things. How many things? all things, including all the fruits of all the evil of all time, work together for a greater good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 walks through this. This is the same thing in Genesis when Joseph has had all kinds of evil and injustice poured out on him. And in the end, as he, he gets a glimpse of God's wisdom working out, he says, what you intended for evil, God used or planned for good. God is all wise. His answer to his struggling, confused people, to you and me today is this. In chapter 45, back to chapter 45, verses five through seven, this is God's answer to us. His life-shaping good news. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, even though 
you do not know me. Even faith is not necessary. I'll come back to that in a moment. Even though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God's message to us. He hears us. He doesn't dismiss us. He sees your pain. He grieves over your tears. He enters in and chooses to be near. And his answer is, I am all wise. I know what I'm doing. I'm sovereign and I have a plan. God's sovereign wisdom is good news for his people. Is God good? Yes. But is God powerful? Yes. Read on with me now in chapter 46. I love this, by the way. It's probably the like short Napoleon complex I have or whatever. But anytime like someone puts a bully in their place, I just love. So I wish I could camp out more on this. And we've done this over the last couple of of weeks. We've gotten to talk about God flexing over these false gods, these idols, these seemingly all-powerful nations, and God puts them in check. Read with me, chapter 46. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts of livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. And then down in verse six, those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a God. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it up to their shoulders They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Again, picture for a moment with me just the hilarity. How funny is this, right? These little idols and someone gets it and gets the gets the gold and melts it down and then you know paints it with really painstaking intentionality and forms it and gets it all just right and then you know gets it there all set up and then it's like okay my god and then steps back and then the wind blows and it tips over oh okay and then you know fix, fix it back okay now it's good okay and then get down and now i can worship you. Now you'll save me. Oh, oh, you won't want to go from here to there? Here, I'll carry you. And okay, oh man, this is getting heavy. I'm carrying this God of mine. And then like God is pointing this out. It's ridiculous. That's going to save me. Again, over the last number of weeks, we've talked a lot about idols. We've pressed in and I just want to help us all let this sink in a little bit more. What about you and me? We don't have little statues for the most part. I was at a worship service yesterday, as I mentioned, went to the U of ASU basketball game and uh, let's say it's a terrible God. Okay, I was, a couple of us were talking about it. There was like a, the silence was deafening. All the air went out of the place. 
oh, yeah, it's, it's okay to be bummed to, to cheer for your team, but I mean, if some people like that's where we put our hope, like how fickle is that? What else? This is something, right? This gets a lot of play. What about this? We, we carry it. How do you feel when you forget to carry it with you, when you leave it at home, if, that's, if that even happens anymore to anyone, but if they're probably like attached, but we leave a phone and we don't have it, we feel naked, anxious. For what, now what? Right? We hold it in our hands and use our thumbs to manipulate it. It's the same thing, right? We've got this little God, let me paint it, let me get it just right. It's, what, this is a true story. I may or may not have happened to me or before, but it could hypothetically be dropped in a toilet. <laughs> right? That's, that's our God. But it, even that, if it doesn't hit close enough to home, oh, I see that hit home to some people, right? Yeah, that's happened to me. So, okay, we don't, know, we don't need a show of hands here. <laughs> But it's not just the phone, right? We're aware that's, that's kind of silly. It's an inanimate object. Let's, but what about what it does for us? When we feel utterly disconnected from other people, when it's not doing what it's supposed to do, what it's promised to give us, when we don't get enough likes, or let me press in even a little more deeply with that because this has happened to me. Again, this is humbling. Someone likes something instead of loving something. Oh, what does that mean? Do they know? Oh, did I offend them? Like they loved that person's remark and not, they didn't love mine. And they just got, I got a thumbs up, but they got a heart that literally I have walked through that in my own dynamics before. I don't know. I might be alone here. It's uh, you have your own thing, but what, what is it? Right. It's, it's sad. I don't mean to just make fun of it. Again, I'm right here with us. And if it's not this for some of us, it's something else. Something similarly silly is food. I love food. I've mentioned before, I used a couple weeks ago, I talked about that moment on Super Bowl Sunday. I got to do it. I've got a plate of grilled nachos. I'm sitting there and, you know, don't topple this. I put so much, I live for these experiences that one little tweak to my calendar or one unwelcomed knock on the door that sends my dog barking and knocks over the nachos and all this. And oh, the whole moment was ruined. Food. Again, I'm just to press in more deeply. What ulti- what's the ultimate end of food? I mentioned toilet- toilets earlier. <laughs> it f- gets flushed. But if we're honest, for many of us, that's our God. That's where we find pleasure and joy and fulfillment. For some of us who maybe grew up in poverty, like myself, when the pantry is seemingly empty, which it's not, it never is, it, but it feels empty, and all of a sudden my security is now in question, and I go back to where I was as a child. Oh no, it's our, you know, our house is so unwelcoming. It's not it, all these things. It's food, exercise, b- b- body image. That it's, these things are real. We got to a place where, oh man, if I worked out once or twice a week, I'd be, I'm nailing it. And then you get caught up on that treadmill. Wow, that was an unplanned little (laughs) pun there, 
right? We get caught up in that hamster wheel and then all of a sudden, no, and now I don't feel, now I have to do four days a week or five days a week. And oh, and oh, and what if two, two a days, you know, I used, oh, if I don't go for my evening walk or do this or that. And it's just, it, it's, let me just say this, all of those things, okay? An idol is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing or a God thing, a life orienting thing. They're all false gods. And the truth is, false gods never fail to fail. Whatever it is, our finances, our bank accounts, our relationships, our image of self, our wardrobe, our academic successes, our jobs, our you, you name it, right? I pray that even right now the Spirit is, is bringing home for you and for me what it is that we put our hope in. God lovingly and yet authoritatively flexes his power and says, I am greater than all these false gods where you look for life. They will fail you, but God never will. Amen? God is all powerful. He's able to carry. There's the burdening gods that we have to carry versus the burden carrying God who promises to never leave us or forsake us, to carry us to completion, the work that he began. Look in chapter 46, verses three through four. God says, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you and I will bear. I will carry and will save. Says the sovereign, all wise, all powerful, all good God. And lastly, God has a plan. And church, if this hasn't been heavy enough, let me just bring the, the, uh, the honest truth more and more to us here. For those who are his people, his plan is our ultimate hope. It is good news. But for those who are not his, for those who choose to continue to live in rebellion, to seek to find life somewhere else, it's absolutely terrifying. Look, look with me, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 through 24. This is what Christina read earlier. Turn to me, says the Lord, and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Again, to Israel, they're, they're thinking, oh, me, 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 us, us, us. But God's saying, no, my plan has always been the entire world. Even now in the Old Testament in Isaiah, as God uses language through the prophet Isaiah of his people, he's talking about all his people who will find their hope and their life in him and in him alone. God says, I am God and there is no other. By myself, I have sworn. That's by the greatest authority, right? You could say, I swear on my this, on my that. God says, I swear on myself. 
There's nothing greater. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. That means you can take it to the bank. To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. The same language is used in Revelation chapter 7. That every tribe, tongue, and nation will come and will bow down and will worship and will confess the true God, the sovereign God of all wisdom, power, knowledge. And in Philippians chapter 2, this same language is used that at the name of Jesus, that God will glorify Jesus above all other names. And at the name, that's not just name like, you know, Jesus, John, Joe, whatever, you know, that no, Jesus, that who he is, his identity, fully God and fully man, the creator of all things that chose to humble himself to be a servant. Is he powerful? Yes. He created everything that is. Is he good? Yes. He descended. He humbly took on the rebellious, broken consequences that you and I know so well. And he took them on the cross. He humbled himself. And then he raised from the dead. And then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And again, we're told that he is exalted far above every name, that God's plan is that all his people, everyone whose name he calls and who responds to him in surrender, in faith, in trust, in hope, will be exalted, will be set free, will one day rejoice forever. But church, again, I just want to say in love that for those who hear but don't listen, for those who don't respond in faith, for those who don't respond and say, I'm sorry, I give my life to you, his promise is that there will be absolute frustration and sadness and devastation. All those who are his will rejoice forever. Verse 24, those who don't will be ashamed. Verse 22, those who turn are saved. So as we close, I want to acknowledge that this has been God's plan all along to save a people for himself. He's calling. If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus, he knows your name. He knew Cyrus's name, right? The verse that we started in, chapter 45, verse 1. Cyrus, we learn later, he never heard. He never listened. He, he, he should have heard and seen. He had enough information, but he never turned. God's calling. Will you turn? Will you put your faith in him? Will you find hope in him? Church, for everyone in here, God's sovereignty, his wisdom, his power, his plan is life-shaping good news.
Let's pray together. Lord, I pray, we pray that we will live in light of your good news, in light of the gospel. Lord, again, for every individual in here, I don't know what they're walking through. I, pray, I believe in my bones. There are some in here who have suffered far greater than I have. And yet I know that in the moments that I thought were the, the, the lowest lows I could imagine, by your grace, through the presence of your Holy Spirit, you remind us that your sovereignty, your wisdom, your power, and your plans, your perfect plans are good news. That we can find hope in you no matter what we're walking through. Lord, we pray that again, through your Holy Spirit, even now as we respond, will you lead us to faith, to repentance, to worship in all of life. In Jesus' name, amen.